0: This podcast from Jubilee Church, Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Everybody looks so very comfortable here. I mean, not like Burton. Why is it when I get up here, people start to heckle, I don't... Couple of things to mention, just sort of family things before we start. Is that okay to mention a couple of family things? Because Julie said to me, my wife Julie said to me, when you get out this morning, people are going to comment that you're wearing shorts on stage for the first time ever. And she's right. But I'm thinking, actually, that if I want to clear the whole auditorium, I just show my kneecaps, yeah? which my family affectionately refer to as sparrows' kneecaps, and I can clear this auditorium in a couple of minutes. Is that fair enough? So that's the first thing. A couple of things. It is lovely to see dear friends of mine, John and Megan, here with us. Um, John and Megan, we used to, when I was down down south, we used to run a a life group together, John, Megan, Julie and I, and we had a real blast doing that, and it's so good to see you guys with us this morning. Now, unfortunately, John's a Scotsman, and so... So uh, hopefully he won't, he won't feel too bad about what happened last night with the mighty England into the semi-finals. But we'll let him think about that for a minute. And very happy birthday for yesterday, Dan. Dan went, Dan went to Lundudno yesterday and apparently ate copious amounts of ice cream. So it's good to have you back in one piece, Dan. Excellent. Now, I have the wonderful task of welcoming in new members into the church. today. I love this bit. Um, we have a foundation course in the church, so if you're looking in and you just want to know what Jubilee is all about, then we put you through, well, put you through, that would be wrong to say that. No, no, we do put you through. We put you through like a four-hour session, but these guys have been around churches for a long time, so we only put them through a two-hour session. So just to get to know them, just to understand what we Jubilee are as a church, how they serve, how we link in, how we support them. So if these five could stand up, so... Paul and Anne, first of all, if you'd like to stand up. Don't, clear, don't check out for them yet. Jodie Bacon, would you like to stand up? Then Chris and Christine Bacon, would you like to stand up? These are wonderful people. I've just such a privilege to get to know a little bit about them all. And they've come with a wealth of experience, church experience behind them. And it's great to have you guys with us. I hope we can serve you as well as you're beginning to serve us. Looks like Paul and Anne, they feel that like we've Paul and Anne have been with us for years because of the connection in the church. These three dear people have joined us recently, and it's great to have you with us. So can we give them a round of applause? And as we've already said, we are still working on the initiation ceremony. So, you know, that's a bit more painful, but we didn't tell them about that at the start. So that's one of those things. Thanks, guys, ever so much. So if you're sitting on the periphery, if you've been to Jubilee a few weeks and you're looking and you think, actually, I might quite like to find out a bit more about what Jubilee is all about, we'd love to... For you to come and sit on a foundation course with us. Come and find me or find David or find one of the elders and um, we'll love to sort of sort that out for you. So sorry, very rude. I didn't really introduce myself at the start. That's very rude. My name's John. I'm the eldest elder in the church. Uh, All the other ones are just young upper starts. So um, so I'm the eldest one. So um, I'm now here, as David said, because Graham's gone the other way today. So Graham's preaching in Burton and David mentioned a bit about Burton. We talked a little bit about it at the family meeting, the church family meeting this week. Burton is going really well. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying my time there, but I'm also thoroughly enjoying coming back here every four weeks as well. So what do we want for Burton? We're just looking for buildings. We've sent out some letters this week. So if you want to pray for anything in Burton, please pray that God will use the letters we sent out to four different schools in the Winslow area of Burton that we will find favour and find a new building to meet in. That is the pressing need for us. In Burton. Okay, that's that out of the way. Now we are. If you're joining us for the first time, or you've been with us a couple of weeks, you will realise we're embarking on a series on Acts. And before I get into what I've been asked to bring today, I just want to really, very quickly recap on what we've learnt already, because we're in Acts four now. So what happened in the first three chapters? So in Acts one, we find the promise of God's Holy Spirit. And remember, it says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit." Comes upon you. And then we get the ascension, Christ is taken up into the clouds, into heaven, and then we know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. In Acts 2, we get this suddenly moment in the church where the Holy Spirit breaks in at Pentecost, and then Peter addresses the crowd, and 3,000 were added on that day to this new model of the local church. And then we had a bit about the fellowship of the believers having everything in common they shared. Broke bread in the homes, etc. So that was all about the fellowship together as well. Then in Acts three, Peter, in the name of Jesus, heals a crippled beggar. Silver and gold have I none, says Peter, but what I have, I give unto you. Stand up and walk, basically. So healing breaks out in the church in Jerusalem. And then Acts four last week, Graham started to speak about Peter and John being dragged before the authorities, and even then, even at that stage, five thousand men were added to the church. But in chapter 4, verse 4, we start to see the opposition against what the disciples are doing, what the church is doing in Jerusalem. But when I look at this, I just find it so exciting to see what the apostles are orchestrating in this new church plant in Jerusalem. And a few weeks, in a few weeks, the numbers have risen from 120 to over 10,000 believers. It's amazing. But this show of God's power through his Holy Spirit, this fellowship of believers, these signs and wonders, and now this tremendous growth, were always going to bring the church into conflict with the authorities. But let's just remind ourselves of the staggering speed of events here in Acts, because the entire book of Acts only spans a 30-year period. So it starts in Acts 1 in AD 30. We've got Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And by the time we get to AD 60, which is recorded in Acts 28, 16, Paul arrives in Rome that's the end of the book of Acts I'm not saying it's like a year a chapter but it almost feels a bit like that you could put it that way but actually Acts chapter up to chapter four we've probably got just a few weeks happening and just the speed of the whole thing was just momentous so the first thing that I see in the first three to four chapters of Acts is that the gospel is gaining momentum and it has now become unstoppable and unquenchable so let's get to the passage I've been asked to speak on today, which is Acts four twenty-three to 31 And in my Bible, the Holy Spirit has inspired the title of this particular passage as the Believer's Prayer. I thought that's an interesting title for it, really, what the Believer's Prayer, what's the significance of this being the Believer's Prayer? Surely the believers had lots of prayers in the Bible, what was the significance of this? And I hope, by God's grace, this morning, I can unpack why I feel it's a significant passage So let's read this together, Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, that's the people, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. After they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So Father, I ask this morning, Lord God, that although these are very familiar passages to us, Lord God, and this Acts, book of Acts, Lord God, is familiar to us in a lot of respects, I pray this morning that you will reveal to each of us, Lord God, what you'd have us learn through this message this morning. I ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning. As I looked at these verses, I was really struggling to find something new to bring you. I was worried that we talked recently a lot about prayer, healing, and the Holy Spirit already in this series on Acts, and I didn't want to repeat anything so soon. Albeit there is something of great value to do so to reinforce the message of God, but then I felt like God had said to speak on this particular topic, the emergence of His glorious Church. But I couldn't see that in this passage we'd read because I got bogged down in the minutia of it all, the small precise detail and the small print. It was a bit like this. I'd got into Acts 4, and I was so struggling to find something, actually, so looking through the passages, that actually I forgot to look at that, the whole picture, which is about the good news, the gospel going forward. And I recognized it was all about my focus. So Dave, could we just put up that first sight I don't know if you ever remember these things if Dave can get them to come up on the screen do you ever remember things like that it used to be probably about five to ten years ago there used to be magazines with what was called the magic eye in them and what you used to have to do is you used to have to get hold of it and you used to have to adjust it into your eyesight until you held it in one place and then actually your eyes would focus and in there you would see an image of something so can you see what that image is no nor can I I've absolutely no idea what that one is Dave can we have the second one Now, in this one here, I wonder if you can see a kingfisher with a fish in its mouth. Can you see that? Can you not see that? What's the matter with you lot? You probably need to be right. I can see the kingfish is there and the fish is just jumping out of the water there. Can you not see that? Oh, It's a bit disturbing, really. Okay, but that's what I was feeling. I was feeling, yeah, I was right. Where where would you get this focus, Lord, about these passages? It's really important to get that. You can take that down, Dave, because people are looking for the kingfisher there. It's not there. <laughs> take it down quickly. So this morning, I believe God wants to reveal two facets of his glorious church to us. Number one, that he had already created this wonderful template. It was predestined before the dawn of time. This glorious church was always and will ever be the hope for the nations. There is nothing else. There is no one else apart from us to take the glorious word of Christ forward. And number two, it was was us to grasp how fearless his church in Jerusalem had become and for us to walk in the good of that inheritance. So he wants us to understand the template and he wants us to understand how fearless his church in Jerusalem had become. And what do I mean by fearless in this context? On earth, this church was undermining the hold of the authorities and were a threat to their unbelief system. And in the spiritual realms, they are undermining the hold of Satan, who had blinded the eyes and hearts of non-believers. What about you and I? Are we part of a safe or a fearless church? And as individuals, are we fearless? God never called his church to be safe or indeed for us to act safely with his gospel. So let's look at what I believe are some of the attributes of a fearless church. Number one, the foundation and strength of this type of church is found in its prayer life. Number two, a fearless church first needs to be shaken by the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Number three, a fearless church walks together in great unity. Number four, A fearless church demonstrates great power and authority. And number five, a fearless church will be full of the grace of God. So that's prayer, presence, unity, power, and grace. But we see in this particular story that Peter and John are not playing it particularly safe. They'd just been brought before the ancient Jewish court system called the Sanhedrin. And after their release, they go back and report what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Let's just remind ourselves of that in verse 24. When they heard this, the people, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. There's a massive light bulb moment here for me. They go back to the source of their faith. They don't dwell on themselves and what they've been through. They could have come back and said, cool, that was a bit of a hair-raising experience. They were really rougher than this in there and go down underneath it. But no, 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 they go back to the source of their faith. They quote Psalm 2 in verse 25, the prophetic words of King David from some 1,000 years earlier. You see, the disciples are grounded in Scripture and they are unshakable at this moment in time. If you want a scripture that talks about the sovereignty of God that you can memorize, how about this one? Revelation 1.8. The Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and is to come the Almighty. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's the beginning and the end. It's everything encompassing in that wonderful scripture. I was reflecting about after they were released, after the Sanhedrin had sent them out of their presence, basically, what might I have done in that situation? Would I have kept out of sight? Would I have done the whole thing down? Would I have denied the church or denied Christ? I don't know what I would have done, but I don't think I would have gone back and did what they did. There was no poor old me's, but there was this sense of righteous indignation that rose up in them. The effect of persecution here binds them together in a common goal. You see, they address their prayer to God, but first and foremost, they acknowledge that he is sovereign and that he has the ultimate power. Sovereign Lord, they say, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Right back to Genesis. This approach is very significant and is something that we should take note of. You see, even before they say anything, they say a whole lot. By acknowledging God as the ultimate power first, they are living a spiritual worldview that says, in spite of my current circumstances, In spite of the things that are going wrong, in the end, Lord, you have it all in the palm of your hand. You know there is an amazing freedom in us recognizing that this morning. What is reaffirmed in Acts 4.28, that Jesus sacrificed himself according to his purpose as determined before to be done. This quick sentence is an extraordinary revelation for our lives. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It was part of God's master plan for the salvation of the world. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the courts, etc., they were just part actors in the greatest rescue mission the world was about to witness. But please take a look at that verse this morning and consider this. Perhaps the difficult situations and circumstances you might be in is the will of God and is in God's plan for your life. Have you ever considered that? Just because what you may be enduring at present is difficult, it does not automatically mean that God does not want it in your life in this season. What don't they ask for in Acts 29 to 30? They don't ask for these threats to decrease. Instead, they ask for God's empowerment to increase so that with all boldness, They might speak your word. They ramp up the ante. They are fearless in their response to the authorities. You see, when they ask for boldness and courage in verse 29, it is not so that they might be built up or that they will somehow feel better. It has very little to do with themselves. They ask for these things so that they might serve God more effectively. But let's just clarify boldness as I see it here. Boldness is not arrogance. It's not about being brash or harsh. It's not about speaking loud or shouting. It's not about being obnoxious or self-righteous. This boldness they received was a divine enablement and empowerment by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God fearlessly, with grace, love, sincerity, and with conviction. They spoke the word with freedom and were not bound in fear and terror. This was a boldness that was not concerned with man's reaction or man's opinion. This was a boldness that was not concerned with the threats or harm that might have transpired. God is returning one day for his bride, the church. But in the meantime, He is looking for a church that exhibits no fear. He is seeking out servants that will live and speak with a Jeremiah boldness. I also note that in verse 29 that they end their prayers by asking for more of the same. They want to persist in doing the things that brought them into conflict with the authorities in the first place. Why would they do this? As one of my grandsons often says, are they crazy? But in verse 29 it says, now Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Well, what they're actually saying to God is do not remove the situation, but rather intensify it. It was like rubbing salt into the wound. They ask this because they know that if the situation intensifies, the gospel will spread and more people will believe. They'd seen what had already worked, the template of this church, and asked for more of it. This was some fearless church. But before you dismiss this type of prayer as the kind of prayer not well suited for you, take a look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The assurance of divine favor came in the shaking, God was so pleased with who they had become and the whole place shook and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon all those that gathered. This shaking was not some earthquake because the only place that shook was the place that they were in. The rest of the city remains quiet. This is no seismic coincidence. This is God showing his favor upon his people. John Stopp, the author, comments on this verse. They were shaken to become more unshaken. They were shaken to become more unshaken. These verses were never some requests about asking God to fix things in their lives, but more remarkably, a prayer to ask Him for empowerment and courage. Why is that, I wondered? Well, in every chapter in Acts so far, we see the same thing. The book of Acts is about Jesus Christ, it has very little to do with the apostles, it has very little to do with the church. And actually, it has very little to do with the growing numbers of believers. But it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. The believers in the new church know that the problems that are coming their way are coming their way because of Jesus Christ, not because of who they are. Because of this, they pray a prayer not for themselves, but for the kingdom of God to flourish. They pray not for their own life situation. They pray not for their own comforts. They pray with one thing in mind, advancements of the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, God responds with a meeting room shaking and a powerful blessing of his Holy Spirit. So you and I, how do we apply this section of the word of God to our lives? Well, each of us might start by asking ourselves this question. Could it be that I occasionally pray the wrong kind of prayers? My guess is, and the odds are, When you pray, you're like me, and you tend to ask God to fix the situation or make it go away and stop. But what we see here is a prayer where just the opposite is presented. They don't pray to end the circumstances they're in. They pray to continue in that situation. But here's the major difference. They pray to have the power and the courage of the Holy Spirit with them in that situation. A more concise way of looking of this is that they place themselves last in their prayer rather than first. The prayer of these people is absolutely selfless. Here we see in Acts a very simple yet powerful principle we can apply to our lives today. Don't always ask God to change the situation you're in, but ask him to give you the courage to make it through the situation and for the Holy Spirit to work through you. Amen. I wonder if the band just might pop up, please. If you're new to the church, um, this is how the last bit sometimes just pans out. So we love to pray for people here in Jubilee. We're a family on a mission, basically, so we love to have people coming down the front. We lay hands on them. We Our expectation is that God will turn up and change life situations. But it's a two-way street, really, because you have to get out of your seat to make that happen, and we have to lay hands on you down the front normally or we'll come and find you wherever you are. And I just felt this morning as I was preparing for this that God just gave me a word for some people here. Uh, it ties into what I've just brought, but let me just read this out. And then we'll sing another song and then maybe we'll pray for people if people want to respond to this. So I had the scripture from Daniel 3. I felt in my heart very much this week. And if you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's on the throne basically and he he tells the authorities to build this 27-meter high and 3-meter wide idol that all of the people need to bow down to. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do that. And so King Nebuchadnezzar throws him into this furnace. And Shadrach says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But then King Nebuchadnezzar gets the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And as the guards are taking these three to be thrown into the furnace, they're pretty much vaporized on the spot. And then, um, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. And then he said, Look, I see four men walking around in that fire and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And then he basically goes up and then he saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I just felt that God was saying to me, as I was preparing for this this morning, that there are at least two people here. I think there's a young lady and a man here that are enduring the intensity of what that furnace must have been like. You're right in the center of it, and you're feeling the flames licking around you. And actually, to the point where I felt God said to this, that actually in the past, recent past, you've had palpitations in your hearts. And actually, there's been occasions where you feel actually you, you're about to have a heart attack. I, God's sometimes very specific, um, but I do feel that that's for somebody here today. Now, you may want to respond to that in private. That's entirely up to you, but please don't leave this place today without getting some prayer for that. I really would love to pray for you down the front if you feel like you can get down to the front. But what we're going to do now is we're going to sing a song, please, if that's okay, guys. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to break for coffee and tea, and then I'll just quickly come back and mention one other thing, and then we're going to pray for people. If you want prayer for anything, not just what I've brought, but prayer for healing or anything else, we'd love you to come down the front. So thank you very much. Oh, can we actually can we sing um, God Alone again, Cornerstone? That's so powerful, and that fits into what we're doing. Thank you. check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.